at a conference yesterday and the question that was asked by the leader of the conference was, how have you seen the love of God expressed in your life lately? And I only had to go back to Friday when I called a friend of mine and I said to him, how are you? And he answered as he always does, better than I deserve to be. And then we talked about some struggles in his life. And his, he spoke of his struggles. I was able to say, I hear you, because the struggles you're experiencing are the same ones I'm experiencing. And so in the midst of that conversation, I think we both experienced the love of God. It was a random conversation. Didn't even think I'd call him, but I just happened to. And right at that moment, the Lord made this spiritual synergy happen uh, between us. The question we asked a number of weeks ago when we started this series is, if Jesus Christ came to save us, to deliver us to heaven, and that was his only purpose, then why didn't he kill us as soon as we confessed him? And the answer, of course, is Jesus has a greater purpose. He wants us to live a transformed life now. And in order to live that transformed life, we must be healed from our brokenness, from our loneliness, from our inability to do what he would have us do. And so this week, the fourth week of our series, 12 messages on the transformed life, I want to look at our brokenness as it relates to God, what our sin has done not only in our relationship with him, but in our relationship with ourselves and how that impacts our relationship to him. You don't have to go very far in the Bible to get a perfect example of how broken we are in our relationship with God. Let's turn our attention now to Genesis chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain was a worker of the ground. And in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruits of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock, of the fat portions, and the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your face fallen? If you do well, you will, not, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive 
and a wanderer on the earth. It was Thursday afternoon, November 14th, and the President of the United States was standing in a cemetery and he was speaking ten lines. In fact, it's said that his speech that day lasted less than two minutes. And maybe because of that, he included in his speech that people would not long remember what is said there. But two years after his assassination, or two years when he was assassinated, they held a memorial service. The senator from Massachusetts, Charles Sumner, said this, Our president was wrong when he observed that no one would remember what was said there. The world noted at once what he said, and we will never cease to forget what he said. A few years later, a noted commentator for the New Yorker magazine by the name of Alexander Wolcott, said that maybe Lincoln was right after all. He said there were 15,000 people on that battlefield in Gettysburg that day. As they stood there, only a few of them heard what the president said, not because of his volume, but because of the brevity of his speech. Wolcott said there is an arc of attention, and that arc of attention was never fully developed. Now think of that, the arc of attention. In other words, you have to begin talking for a while before people tune in. Some say that people's words can be so few that people don't hear them. They don't register. Now over the years, a lot of people have said to me, that's not your problem. But for Lincoln at Gettysburg, and for God Almighty in the Garden of Eden, there was a good chance that the ark of attention had not been fully established. When you think about what God says in the face of the sin of Adam and Eve, as he curses the serpent and Adam and Eve, his words are few. And yet we know that Eve tuned in to every one of those words. You know how we know it? Because of the name she gave to her firstborn son. Now two years ago we studied some portraits of Christ in the Old Testament. And we started with Abel. And we noted that Abel is a perfect representation, a perfect portrait of Jesus Christ. His name means a breath or a vapor. And we noted that in many respects, Abel sets us up for a Savior, a Redeemer. He begins to show us some of the hues and the colors of what the Savior will be. But ladies and gentlemen, there's another portrait in this same family. Just as Abel is a portrait of Jesus, Cain is a portrait of you and me. When you look at Cain, you see a perfect portrait of the basic human nature. 
In fact, when you study Cain, even in these few verses, you see the full extent of the brokenness and the loneliness and the disrepair that our sin does in our relationship with God. So let's dig in. First of all, notice, if you will, the announcement. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Now, you think about how much time and attention goes into naming our children these days. I mean, some people name their kids these days to avoid nicknames. Some people do it to be consistent with heredity. Some people do it to establish social favors. I mean, some of the names we hear these days I've never heard before. But for Eve, it's none of that that causes her to name her firstborn Cain. You know what causes her to name this boy Cain? The words the Lord has said. Now, the word Cain in English means a spear or a weapon. In Hebrew, the name Cain sounds a lot like the Hebrew verb gotten. So if you read a good English translation of that verse, it says, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. But actually, the Hebrew is more precise than that. What, Cain, what, what Eve literally says is, I've gotten a man, even the deliverer. You see, she believes that Cain is the one who is the fulfillment of God's promise in Genesis 3.15. That God would send a redeemer, a savior, a deliverer, and she believes her firstborn is it. I've gotten a man, even the one who will deliver me. She believes that he will be the answer to the sin problem. But nothing could be further from the truth. Cain will not be a deliverer. He will be a destroyer. She will soon discover that the brokenness that we experience as a result of our sin is so great that no sinner can have a hand in bringing healing to that brokenness. I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. He will be my deliverer. Eve will come to see that there's nothing she can do to help in her own deliverance. Then second, notice, if you will, the acknowledgement. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. Now, here's where the Hebrew is really helpful. The Hebrew does not say in the course of time. That sounds like once upon a time. What the Hebrew says is literally this. At the end of days, at the end of days, Cain brought to the Lord an offering. You see, hidden in this text is the command of God that an offering be made for sin. 
And the reason we know that that had to be the case was what the writer of Hebrews says. He says, when Abel brings his offering, he offers it to the Lord by faith. In other words, he knows the command of God to bring an offering. And so by faith, he is obeying the word of the Lord. At the end of days, at the prescribed time, Abel brings the firstborn, the fat portions of his flock, a blood sacrifice to atone for his sin. And it is accepted. Cain, at the same time, instead of conforming to God's standards, he decides that he will bring the fruit of his labor. Instead of the required blood sacrifice, he will bring to the Lord some fruit. Now, someone has said this, Cain is a perfect poster child for man-made religion. It's a Burger King kind of faith. Have it your way. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way that seems right unto a man, but its end is the way of death and destruction. And that's true here. In 1922, Babe Ruth was scheduled to see the king of England, Edward VIII. And so the handlers of Babe Ruth said, listen, babe, you need to understand that there's a protocol, there's an etiquette. You need to do these certain things when you approach the king. Do you have it? Do you understand it? Babe Ruth said, yeah, I got it. The next day when he met the king, he said, hi, king. (laughs) And there was like an international incident. You don't just say to the king, hi, king. And when you read the book of Leviticus, you see that when God established a means for sinners to come before him, it's an elaborate, intricate requirement. I mean, read Leviticus. And if you can stay awake, you will understand, man, God made it tough to get to him. And yet he made a way. And everything that the book of Leviticus tells us is that blood must accompany the sinner. The blood sacrifice must come first before anything else. And yet by his grace, God establishes that the blood sacrifice can be someone other than us. It can be a lamb. It can be a bull. It can be a goat. He establishes a sacrifice. Instead of man's blood... He'll take the blood of an animal. And Abel knows that. And Cain knows that. And yet Cain rebels against that knowledge. Because every Cain rebels. Every Cain tries to justify himself. We all do it. It's in our flesh because all of us by nature are Cain. Then third, notice. The answer. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. That's the Lord. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. One time a heckler was there in a college audience when Dr. Carl Henry was speaking. The first editor of Christianity Today. And the heckler said, Dr. Henry, do you believe Cain is in heaven? And Henry ignored him. The man interrupted again, do you believe Cain is in heaven? And by the third time, Henry shouted back, I don't know, but when I get to heaven, I'll look for him. 
The man said, well, what if he isn't in heaven? Henry said, then you'll have to look for him. (laughs) Now, throughout the centuries, there have been people that have taken pity on Cain. I've known some of them. I've led Bible studies where people say, hey, that's not fair. I feel bad for Cain. I would have been angry too. I love what Barnhouse says at this point. We must not think of Cain as an iniquitous man at first. We must think of him as a cultured gentleman who thinks that his polished fruit should be as pleasing as a blood sacrifice. I think of Cain every time I see a man faultlessly attired walking down Fifth Avenue in an Easter parade after attending a church service where the resurrection of Jesus Christ is denied. He's Cain. He's having it own, his own way. I can't tell you the number of people I talk to almost every week when you ask them about their faith, they go the way of Cain. Trying to do it themselves. What they think, they're the arbiters of truth. And then fourth, notice the anger. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And has your face fallen? Someone has said the old nature is angriest whenever it's crossed. We see it here. Cain is angry because he wants his own way. And that is the precursor to all sin. It's our desire to control the scales. This is exactly a duplication of his parents' sin. It's the desire to be in charge. It's the desire to gain a sense of worth by what you do and what other people think of you. When Cain sees that his brother's sacrifice is favored over his, he's angry. You see, to Cain, the problem here is not his own failure. The problem for Cain is the acceptance of his brother by God. What ticks him off is not that God has rejected his offering, but that God has approved the offering of his brother. To Cain... The acceptance of his brother and his offering is an indictment of himself. It diminishes his own sense of worth. Do you see that? If it wasn't for his brother, Mr. Goody Two-Shoes, Cain would be okay. That's his view. Then fifth, notice the acceptance. If you do well, you will not be accept- will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Now think of this. In spite of Cain's rebellion, in spite of Cain wanting to do what he wanted to do and then doing it, God does for him exactly what he did for his parents. God comes to him. Almighty God stoops down to this rebellious pig. He comes to Cain in the midst of his sin. 
You say, why would God do that? Two reasons. God is love. And his desire is that we would know how dependent we are on him. Now think of this. They've eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And yet when God comes and gives Cain a means of escape, a way to defeat his anger, when God lays it all out, gives him all the knowledge he needs to do well, he can't do it. All around us are people that think this, that if people were educated, if they would get a body of knowledge, all their problems would disappear. We assume in our society the more money we spend on education, the more intelligent our society will become. In the last 40 years, we've spent $2 trillion on public education, and we're dumber today than we were 40 years ago. Jiminy Cricket canonized it. Let your conscience be your guide. And Genesis 4 says that's crap. The word con means with. The word science means knowledge. Almighty God, the creator of the universe, condescends to give to Cain all of the knowledge that he needs to do what is right, but all of that knowledge, all the knowledge in the world can't fix Cain's problem because his problem is not in the head, his problem is in the heart. And then sixth, and finally, notice the aversion. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. When they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? You know what Paul says about this? He goes further than Jude. Jude talks about the way of Cain. Paul talks about the nature of Cain, and he says, we all by nature are Cain. Someone has said it is impossible for us to fully comprehend the degree of our iniquity. The iniquity in our fallen hearts. Some of us are willing to admit that we have certain tendencies. But how many of us are willing to admit that it goes all the way to murder? We look in vain for extenuating circumstances or motives, but there are none. Envy and hatred are the only cause. Where do they come from? They come from a heart that believes its significance is reduced by the approval of others. Can we talk? How many times in your own experience has your sense of self and worth been diminished by the achievement of someone else? You know why? Because you's Cain. And me's is too. <laughs> you see, when God approves Abel's sacrifice, it should have prompted Cain to examine himself. He should have said, what's wrong with me? Why didn't I obey? 
And when God comes to me and tells me I get a second chance, why is it that I can't do it? Instead of that, all he can see is what's wrong with his brother. And you file that under brokenness. Listen to how he, the Hebrews render verse 7. It's fabulous. Listen to this. Verse 7. If your conscience accuses you of sin, there is a sin offering crouching outside your door. You see, the Hebrews believe that in this verse, and in the original Hebrew text, when God comes and talks to Cain about his sin, it's not simply a sin that's crouching at the door, but a sin offering. God not only condescends to Cain to give him the advice of what he needs to do, he brings with him an offering. He puts it right outside his door, and he says, all you need to do, Cain, is open your door, take that lamb up into your arms, and slay it as you should have in the first place. But he can't do it. All he needs to do is admit his need. All he needs to do is, is establish a substitute for his own sin, and he can't. And you know what? That's true for you. It's true for me as well. Without a substitute of God's own choosing, and without that substitute doing everything necessary to sacrifice himself for us, none of us would do any differently than Cain did. God comes to every one of us with the same offer. There is a sin offering crouching at your door. You know where we Christians see that the best and the plainest right here at the table? You want victory over sin? You want healing for your brokenness? You want to get to the place where you are actually excited and happy for the approval and the recognition others get? There's only one place to get it. And that's in the finished work of of Jesus Christ to know that your worth is established already by what Jesus has done for you. Next week, we're going to look at a biblical story of how Jesus Christ alone takes us from brokenness to complete shalom. But today, think about all of these things as you come to his table.